You know, the guitar. 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 Another tidbits. Flotsam. Jetsam. <laughs> it's 8.18 a.m. Saturday, September the 26th, 2020. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane show. Still hurts. Oh, I'm sorry. What are you going to do? September 26th. It's almost October, I know, I know, Bill. I know. See, I remember, wasn't it? I think last week I said... God, it's almost September to you when you were in getting tea. Yeah. That was, that, wasn't that last week? That felt like last week, but I don't think it was. Well, now. Hi. <sighs> yeah, is there secretly some kind of science fiction writer at the helm of the I think wheel so. Of... I think that there is a science fiction writer yeah. going on right now. Yeah. yeah. There does seem to be many elements of that. Jean. But I think he's been a little too obvious right. about everything. Yeah, I yeah, mean, I yeah, just feel true. like really... A little more subtlety, I think. And, uh, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Maybe more of a slow build. I got myself a cup of coffee here, and I'm going to take me a sip. Oh, that's good, Joe. Yeah, ham and eggs. Anyway. It's a beautiful uh, morning in the treehouse because Diane makes it that way. There's candles lit and stuff and soft lighting and all the little sparkly flickeries are all kind of sparkly <laughs> flickery. And I don't know. Makes a fellow feel like sitting down having a cup of jewel <laughs> talking it over. Especially if it's been a hectic week here in Lake Amphetamine as per usual. Diane. <laughs> wow, that was a fast Well, I just wanted flip to over. I didn't want to forget. I didn't want to leave that awkward pause, you know. There have been many items of interest about this week. And, of course, you know, well, we, we, our show we. is not to talk about all the global Yes, no, yeah. Craziness. We're keeping it local. Keeping it local. We're keeping it local. Yeah. But. But? In, wait, but? Well, one of the things is that last weekend we watched. Oh. Uh. The movie, on on the basis of sex, about uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ginsburg's beginning of oh well, kind of in her beginning of her career, right. and then we watched immediately afterwards the documentary RBG, and I just, man, you know, I already had her in high esteem, but right. watching both those, um, just both those. Ways of representing her life. Yeah, she really. was almost. She was like uh, almost. I felt like like she was like a almost like a Forrest Gump, in the legal world, during that period of time. It's like every major decision uh, that was made that affected our people's lives. She was there, in some capacity, you know. But for that, I for that period of time. I had already been aware of the the debt of gratitude I owed to her for all of her rulings that, I mean, all of the ways that she promoted women, uh, women's rights. And 
it made me aware of a lot of things that I was not aware of in how she did that. So Yeah, I remember in the mid-70s, after my parents split up, that uh, my mom, who had been the, the one that was, had been steadily employed, worked full-time for, for, you know, as long as I'd known her Yeah. Uh, at that point. So I was probably, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old. And she couldn't get a credit card without my dad co-signing. Yeah. You know, it was just, you know, you encounter that in your own life and it's like, no, that's, no, no, <laughs> no, what? Exactly. It's, just, it's just stunning. It's just stunning. Well, it hasn't been that long since women could own property and I, I would not have been able to buy this place. Or I know. And when I think of the powerful force that my mom has been in my life, you know, even if I even if I weigh her influence against my dad's influence, it's like I'm not. There's no, <laughs> there isn't a uh, hierarchy there. There's no uh, false disequivalent. You know, it's weird. Well, it's interesting. You had a, you definitely had an unusual circumstance when you were young. Yeah, I know. That yeah, really. But, but for me, it was just you know Tuesday. Well, I know, but what I guess I'm saying is that it it formed you in a way that I don't think everybody, yeah. that all men have had, that yeah. that your mother was the, the main breadwinner. Main breadwinner. And, and your dad was doing the creative, um, the creative job that also brought in money, but not... Not a steady stream. Not a steady as, stream. As much as my yeah. mom did, except for when he was working at King. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I know it's 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 weird. It's weird to think about, but it made total sense in my life. And when I think of my mom's commitment to my dad, you know, because that was an agreement that they had made. Now my mom liked to work, and uh, my dad had, you know, wanted permission, needed permission to pursue his art full time. Because he'd had other jobs too, and things like that, but she she created that circumstance for him, or they agreed to create that circumstance together. Right. So when I think about when I think of them in terms of who was dominant or who was less equal, it just doesn't compute. It doesn't compute. Yeah. Well, yeah. even in my circumstance, with my father being the breadwinner, mm -hmm. so to speak, in our family, but my mother. Uh, she ran the shop. She ran the shop. <laughs> you know, she because my dad was often on the road, and and she was the one who was doing all the family finances. She did, and she definitely did all the child care. And right. in fact, I was talking to uh, one of my colleagues at work yesterday, who is quite a polymath. He's just uh, Andy. He he calls daily for some issues that we are working with, but. He is the most fascinating guy. He just knows about all sorts of things. Oh, really? It's yeah, he knows his his uh his interests are wide and varied and even more wide and varied than mine. He has he has a lot of knowledge about a lot of stuff. And so I I was asking him, "Hey, what did you major in?" I mean, you seem to be a polymath. I'm just kind of interested in yeah. what you, and he said he was a communications major mm -hmm. and then he said but 
my mom really influenced me. And the number of times that I hear a person say, but my mom really influenced me. It just... Think of William Stafford talking about his mother. Yeah. And the same for me. My mom really influenced me. You know, my mom was the one who was the... who instigated my love of... um, the etymology of words. Mm-hmm. She was the one who, well, not only words, but phrases. She was the one who was always saying, look it up. And so my brother and I learned how to uh, She was the one that was research. always there. She was the one who was always there. In moments but, like that to say those things. Yeah. But the that her intelligence, which my dad always said, and I think was true, uh, exceeded his. My mom was an incredibly intelligent woman, and um, her her ability to pass on her passions through her gentle ways yeah, was astonishing. And so, for me, the thing that is so interesting is my mom was what a lot of people would have called a housewife, which is such a denigrating term. However, um, her interest in my pursuing uh, the world of work, even though I think that she would have had the idea that I would eventually get married and do what she did, uh, she was fascinated in my world of work, mm-hmm. you know, because she had worked for a while before my dad. Uh, it was just different times back yeah. then. Yeah. So she was always really proud of what I accomplished in my my working life. And and I think a lot of the reason why I had such a desire to do that came from my mom and my mom's history. So I just want to, I, you know, when we watched the, particularly the movie, I just started sobbing um, at the end because it shows the actress who played the young... Ruth Bader Ginsburg walking up the steps um, of the Supreme Court. Of the Supreme Court, and then it shows the actual Ruth Ginsburg walking up those steps, and even talking about it makes me emotional. So, um, such a a warrior for us all, and I think that the other thing that really came to my mind is how she helped both the genders. Oh, yeah. That it was not just... Because unless this one side is freed, then the other is not freed either, you know? Uh, I I just am such an appreciator. But speaking of all the family history, that brings up the other item of note this week is uh, your daughter's project. Right. Alice has uh, just, in the last couple of weeks, started uh, a master's program at PLU, Pacific Lutheran University, for marriage and family counseling. And so she's getting a master's degree in marriage and family counseling. So she's working uh, three long days a week and going to school two long days a week, working in the campus clinic one long day a week, and... um, probably is doing more reading than she has ever done before. Probably, she's probably done, will do as much reading in the next two years as she has her entire life up to this point. 
because a lot of what she's got is reading uh, and familiarizing herself with material and stuff like that and being ready for classwork. And, um, I, you know, I can't even imagine it. She's the first person that I know of in our family that has ever gone to a postgraduate situation. So I am unendingly proud of my daughter and uh, my son too. Anyway, she's good, been given a genogram project, and you can probably explain that better than me. Um, uh, the part of the idea behind the project is that if you're going to become a therapist, then you have to be aware of your own biases. You have to be aware of the way your story is going to influence your approach yeah. to, to therapy. And so that's kind of what this is about, is understanding your history and how it has shaped who you are and what attitudes you may be bringing into the room. Yeah, that's right. You know, as a way to, mo to moderate that, I'm sure, as a way to, as a way to uh, be fair. You know. The first time I ever heard about genograms was from one of the pharmacology professors that I worked with, Frank Vincenzi, and he was telling me about it, showed me a genogram, and uh, I just pulled up a definition just so I could say it in a pithy way because yeah, it, otherwise... Does it has to, has to do with genes, like, you know, in your body or genes? Uh, actually, I don't think that that... It's, oh, okay. it's a diagram outlining the history of the behavior patterns as of divorce, abortion, and suicide of a family over several generations. And you can do a similar diagram uh, detailing the medical history of a family as well uh, just to see whether uh, there would be a family's members risk of developing disease based on what other, what other diseases were going on in the family yeah. and uh, when when Frank Vincenzi was telling me about it he actually had done a genogram of his own and was showing me and it's done in a in a way that is like, I, I want to say like almost a family tree right. kind of situation where you're saying these people... There's all these little lines connecting right. and webbing out and stuff like that. But yeah. it is enhanced by these other symbols like a wavy line if people didn't get along yeah. or so a, have a double line if, if they really get along. And, yeah. and uh, there was a an article that Alice sent around to me because I told her I would be really interested in reading it about the cultural uh, genogram, which is more about your family's uh, ethnic... Attitudes well, and influences? Or? Well, no, it's, oh. it's just solely about the cultural, like... Uh, country of origin stuff and Country of origin and... Uh how that country of origin would have patterned your thoughts. Hmm. And it had a series of questions, but it also had a way of doing this. And it was more pertinent for, uh, I mean, as far as the cultural history of your, of your Damn. country of origin, yeah. it was more uh, pertinent to, to the First, like if you more had recent, grandparents, more recent immigrants. right? Yeah. So, for example, your family's been in America for almost since the beginning of the country. Well, in some cases, yes. In in the beginning, had of family the country. member on the Mayflower. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, my family, my grandparents were uh, were immigrants. So, 
it would be more pertinent as far as outlining what the Swedes thought and the Belgians thought than it would be for you because, uh, because yours would be, what do Americans think? Mine would also include, what do the Swedes think? What do the Belgians yeah, think? Right, right. And yeah. how did they migrate over here? And why did they do it? And, um, and what sorts of influences from that culture still remain? And I definitely see the, the, the value of that. So I had a series of questions and I remember when I read it, I just, I just wrote back to Alice and said, man, I, because I'm not a part of the, her project necessarily. She was saying she hasn't quite decided because I, she said it's anyone who is impactful in her life. And, and I'm very honored to say that she said that I was very impactful in her life Mm -hmm. and she has been in mine. But I was saying, I want to do it just for the the interest of it, man. It's it's so fascinating because the more that you understand about how your family uh, operated, even uh, so, you know, you have the cultural side, you've got the... How did people get along in the family? What and events did they live through? What did, events did they live through? Yeah. And... Um, and how did those things shape you? And I think it's a fascinating it is, thing. It is a fascinating concept, yeah. So anyway, so Diane and I are each getting to write a little bit of about our family history, about our parents. Because it only goes back to Alice's grandparents, who are my parents. So that's how. Right. She's only, it's only doing three generations. Yeah, going uh, back further would be hard. Yeah. but it's I a, mean, it's, it, certainly for us it would be hard because for me... The grandparents are as far as my knowledge really goes back. Right. Yeah, mine too. I didn't know any of my great-grandparents. I know about uh, my great-grandparents on my dad's side, but I, uh, not so much on my mom's side. But I've heard stories. You know, I've heard stories from Annie and, and my cousins too because we had the same great-grandma. Well, and it's interesting that... That it really is sort of this localized yeah. um, group that you think you know. <laughs> right, that's part of part of what I'm enjoying about writing about my folks, is that I, I've never really framed it this way. Yeah, you know? I've never really framed their their upbringings and their childhoods. I've always thought about my upbringing in my childhood, and how uh, amazing it was, in so many ways, and uh, how it shaped who I am. But and I've known a few things about my folks. I mean, they were both only children, so they were both spoiled rotten when they were kids. Yeah. And I think that showed, you know. But it also gave them a kind of confidence um, in their own abilities that uh, is that I think shown out of both of them during what, when I knew them. So anyway, it's just an interesting thing to, to uh, have the time to think about. Well, and especially when when I think about, I often have thought in my in my history that uh, the fact that I come from immigrant grandparents and that both my grandparent, my grandfathers, and my father and my uncle, uh, my uncles were all in wars. Uh, my grandparents in the, I mean, my grandfathers in the World War One. My my parents in World War Two. I mean, my father and uncles. Your mother's mother and your aunt, too. Yeah. Because, you know, if your husband's away at war, you're at war, too. Well, that's true. You know, I, I, I didn't I, mean... Uh, I but I, I mean, meant just, that they were actually in the yeah, war. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but those, 
historical facts mm-hmm. and the depression mm-hmm. that the has absolutely imbued my being and changed the way that I do things. I mean, for example, the fact that I am not a risk taker financially, I totally ascribe to it being dyed in the wool from the time yeah, I was born. That's something you, know? that you and I share in common. That was yeah. something that was, you know. It was just like, you know, don't risk what you have. If you can't you afford have. to buy it outright, wait till you, and get it when you can. Yeah. You know, that's it. So it is interesting when you, because so oftentimes we think that everything that we do is just sort of sprung from nothingness, <laughs> you know, that we were the... Uh, yeah. Originators of all the ideas. And, yeah, the yeah. originators of all the ideas rather than a ongoing wave. Expression of, of coding. Exactly. You know, of, yeah. And... Uh, I'm very appreciative of all that preceded me. I think that uh, many of us are. And um, I just feel like this is a great project to explore that. And it made me more interested in doing it for myself, whether or not it would be of help to Alice. Although I think it would be of help for her uh, just in the standpoint, because I know that uh, when Alexandra was going through her training, um, my naturopath who no longer is here anymore but um she was going through a training at bastyr and she had to uh try to interview people in the way that she was taught to find to, out their medical history to get to know a new patient kind and of thing. so she would ask me she'd say can i use you as a as a uh, guinea pig so to speak of that yeah. so um so I think it would be helpful for Alice just as a person who is not in her immediate family but has a great interest and that she knows a lot about me anyway to be a, a bit of a, a trial run, you know. Yeah, that might be, that would be fun. I hope yeah. she does that. I hope she does that. But for <coughs> any event, I just think it's a fascinating thing. And it's amazing as a parent to watch your children enter worlds that you know nothing about, you know. And uh, to be passionate about it, to, you know, to watch your kids go off in directions that you never would have imagined for them, uh, but to be into it, and, you know, and that's, so that's what comes through is how how much it, it fascinates them or how passionate they are about it. You feel that passion, and it's like they're doing exactly what they should be doing. And I, I on many levels, I feel that way about both of my kids. That they are doing exactly what they need to be doing right now, you know. So well, that's just that's the just thing a great that's feeling. interesting to me about Alice because I've been watching her um, since her teens, and uh, it's been so fascinating because she's got so many different talents in so many different directions, and for her to be trying to figure out which one she wants to center on has been an interesting place to be. Interesting journey. Uh, because I certainly had a lot of talents and interests as well. And my my way of getting there was a little uh, more serendipitous, I want to say. Because she seems to have definitely gone down this channel 
and then saying, hmm, now I'm going to go down this channel, mm -hmm. and now I'm going to go down this channel. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how she gets all of those channels to be in her life, because I certainly have with the, yeah. the things that I've loved. So that's, that's what's so fascinating about, about her, is that she's got, she's, uh, she's accumulating a body of knowledge that is a very unique mixture, right? But I can see how they all kind of feed into each other and interrelate. And some of it has to do with organization and some of it has to do with creative thinking. And some of it has to do with creating something for someone else. And part of it has to do with just being able to listen really well. It's just... She, She's oh, I think she would make... I, I would love to have her as a counselor. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Because I know I can talk to her. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, so she that is a counselor. What the hell am I saying? She is a counselor to me and has been for many, many years. She has taught me a ton about human relations because, you know, we went through a little storm back there in those teen years that was fascinating. And, you know, we never, it never broke us up. It never, we were never, we never stayed mad. It was just, uh, it was an educational unit that I, I will always cherish the, the yelling years <laughs> I'm sorry but man I loved it uh, I did well I think it just is is your both of your temperaments are so similar and I think you got each other you know yeah. scared me yeah. you know when when well, that was it, going I, on I scared it, me I could see where it would be scary from the outside but it it had its it had a shape you know and so it was kind of like you know what we've talked about with yours and my conversations how yeah. we've learned that no you what you do is you don't stop you don't yeah. stop talking and you end up and you're not nobody's mad at the end nobody's well, upset was, nobody's you know yeah i was talking to you about this yesterday i was yeah. saying that no matter what happens if you truly believe in your relationship I was saying, yeah, you know, the thing that I think is so different about our relationship versus any of my other past relationships is I really believe in our... Yeah, there's a foundation there that is really solid. Yeah. More solid than anything I've experienced. Yeah. Either. And uh, so you're not afraid. Yeah, you know? so when things happen that are uh, stressful or um, even divisive for a short period of time when you know in your heart that you belong together yeah. and that you you just you just say no i know that this is right we we just are hitting something wrong yeah, here we just gone off the rails for a second here so let's you, get back so on. you experience all of that stuff not as a conf confrontation between the two of you but as something that's happened in your life that's right. You know, it's it's a bump in the road, and and it's uh, the bump is shared. Every every aspect of it is already uh, ex being experienced by both of us. So it's not yeah. about you know uh, being. You know, it's just there's just layers. Well, and it, especially when you talk about the yelling years with you and Alice, I think that the the thing that's so funny is that a lot of times we as people think that the blissful relationship is one where everybody's just always, ah, everything's yeah. great. 
All conflict is avoided. All conflict is, and that's not true. I think that the conflict, in fact, I have had more, I have been more honest with you than with any other person in my entire life. Hmm. And then from that honesty with you and knowing the solidity that we have, it makes me more generally um, wanting to have that honesty with others rather than trying to just smooth things over that I will actually talk about things that trouble me or whatever. It's, it's been a very, um, positive influence in my life. And especially, I mean, kind of even bringing it back to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, when I was growing up, that was not true. I mean, my family did not promote honest sharing of all of your thoughts because they did see it as, oh my gosh, what would happen if there was conflict? But the problem is that the conflict just goes underground and is bubbling down there. Conflict. It doesn't needs to be practiced you need practice at these things because and i think one of the reasons that it worked for alice and me is the same one of the same reasons that it works for you and me is that you don't leave you don't stomp off you don't slam a door or if you slam a door you are pursued <laughs> you know? and that's kind of what what it was like with alice i would not let her leave me angry you know and I remember saying to her, don't leave. That's going to mess up everything. Yeah. Don't leave. Stay here. You know, we both did tears on our faces, <laughs> and, you know, beat red faces from yelling, you know, <laughs> don't leave, you know. And I think that's one of the important things to learn when you're in the midst of a conflict. If you stay in it, it comes to an end. Yeah. You know, it comes to the conflict kind of evaporates eventually. If you just don't leave, you can be quiet. You can say, I just need to gather my thoughts for a moment. Okay, that's, that's allowed, you know. But I don't know, it was a, it was a fun thing to uh, practice with Alice. And uh, I learned a ton because I hadn't, she's probably the first woman in my life wherein I had a relationship that was where the foundation was there. Yeah. You know? Because with your kids, you know, the foundation is there from day one. And uh, so there's no, there was no question in my mind. You know? And I needed to teach her that she should have no question in her mind either about yeah. how this was, you know, how this could work. So, anyway. And it wasn't, it wasn't something that I was conscious of. I hadn't outlined it ahead of time or anything like that. But I just realized when we were in the midst of it that, you can't leave something like this, you know, you can't. Well, it's been, so those were the two real interesting things for me this, this last week. And Quite interesting. other than that, you know, because I'm in my busy season at work, I'm kind of right at the cusp of getting out of it. And that's always a good feeling when you start feeling like, okay, now we're at, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And yeah, that's a good thing. So, and then fall is my favorite time of year. So I'm kind of going into the, to the blissful. Into the golden light. Into the golden light. Despite all the tumult that surrounds us. Tumult? What tumult? Oh, I know. There's hardly any, but we live in such peaceful times. I've been uh, (laughs) nursing my wound here for the last week and 
went to see my doctor on Wednesday and she prescribed a medication that is helping. It's helping quite a bit. Uh, not so much with the pain and the other odd sensations, but just it just for some reason I don't care about it as much. It doesn't it's actually taking it takes it most of the time out of the center of my attention. So it I mean, seems to calm so, your nerves yeah. quite literally. I mean that you yeah, know, I don't know what's what's are... in this medication that has to do with maybe a mood elevator or a antidepressant or something like that, but it does seem to have a quality like that. So I'm riding it out better probably this week than I was last week at this time. And uh the Tuesday night thing went off without a hitch, mostly. My hand's still not 100% operational, but I'm not sure that anybody notices but me. No, yeah. I don't think anybody notices but you, except when you were ouching at the end. Yeah. Well, but I had mentioned that, um, I mean, I when I posted your YouTube up, the poetry you read this time just mm. really got to me and was quite a balm uh for my my being wounded by the tumultuous crashing of the waves of history beating up on us yeah. <laughs> and uh, particularly all of them your poetry was deeply meaningful to me especially a poem called reassurance Mary Oliver's was is always deeply meaningful to me but that you had the impetus to read Gregory Orr was amazing. It just seemed the perfect poetry for this time. Mm -hmm. And it just helped me remember, as as literature all always does for me, literature and music, you know, the the cultural things that we share, the the music, the poetry, the um the movies and all that, it it educates you in a different kind of a way. It's not a political way. It's a, it's telling you about how this has been experienced before. And this, these are the keys for you, you yeah. know, to, yeah. to keep in mind and right. realize. Right. So that was so deeply healing for me. And I, um, I even wrote to Gregory Orr's, there's a contact and I just, wrote a note of gratitude because I just thought, wow, this is, this is the best medicine I have had during this time. So, yeah. Cool. And then you have the impetus to check out John Hart Hartford. What was the, well, I wanted to say one more thing though. Oh yeah. Also, I'm this, this, this afternoon, I'm going to be part of the, uh, the Waterbury brothers fortnight of doom. They do a live stream on fa their Facebook page, Whateverly Brothers. Just look for the Whateverly Brothers on Facebook, and you'll find it. And they do a, they do a live stream every other Saturday. Um, the three of them, Dan Roberts, uh, Rob Neisler, Rob Neisler, and Chris Glanister, and uh, they're just great guys, and they have a lot of musical knowledge that they kind of blend together in their own unique kind of way. They can't really do their three-part harmonies the way they do when they're performing. But right. they, usually during the show, they'll show a, a video of the three of them playing together. Either something that they've created since the plague times or something from before the plague times. And uh, they've had, you know, um, pretty, pretty much everybody I know in the musical community has been a guest on their show. 
So that's from 5 until 6.30 this evening, Saturday, uh, September 26th. And uh, I'm proud to be a part of that, and I'm looking forward to tonight. It gives me a little extra chance to play. And I wrote a new song yesterday. You did. So there's my week. It's been uh, kind of thrill-packed, you know. Plus, I get to hang around with you, and you're in the in the uh, whatever kind of vibe is happening around your work, which kind of permeates the house in an interesting kind of way that I really like. I like having your work energy here in the house with mine because I don't know. I just think that's good. It makes me feel like we're more of a piece. I love that's a that, good that I hear you performing upstairs. Um, I love hearing the the music kind of wafting down the stairway when I'm, it just gives me such a feeling of comfort um, to hear that. See guys, see how lucky I am. You know, <laughs> even when I'm doinking around upstairs on the stuff, she, she likes hearing it. That's, that's good fortune is what that is. Yeah, John Hartford. Um, it's just he's he's an absolute delight. He's one of those performers that you when you watch him, you know he's having more fun than you are, you know, and you want that, and that his fun just draws you to him. Um, I know you've been playing "Gentle on My Mind." Is that what made you think of yeah, him? Yeah, because I learned that song "Gentle on My Mind" when I was ten years old. Yeah. I have a recording of me singing it. When I've I was, heard it when I was eleven.
I don't know if you can tell when Marion's guitar dropped out, but uh, we tried to keep going through it. Gee, I was sure too bad. And guess who it was on the phone? <laughs> tell him who it was. Mama. Yeah. It's lovely. Well, <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny to listen to an 11-year-old kid sing about, you know, the hobo lifestyle. <laughs> or, you know, leaving a trail of women in the dust kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. But it's, it's a very gentle song, you know. It's, if you listen to it, you know, it, it may be talking about some stuff that you may question in terms of lifestyle choices because this is the, kind of the classic guy uh, born to Rome, bound to Rome, you know. Pardon me, I'm going to have another drink of coffee. Identity piece that is, you know, Ew, boy. mythology at, at, good coffee. at its best. And yeah. also <coughs> just wanting the woman not to bother yeah, him. Yeah, just that, don't bother that, me. And oh, because be. this one woman did not put the chains on him, yeah. she's gentle she's, on him. She's gentle on his mind. I know. I know. It's a, it, the song has questionable values within it. And I accept that. Uh, but at the time I learned it, I just thought it was a great song. And especially the line, but not to where I cannot see you walking on the back roads by the rivers flowing gentle on my mind. Just the way the lyric just ripples. Yeah. You know, uh, that's the thing that I loved about it is the rhythm of the words working with the music. And uh, so, yeah, I was kind of, I've been kind of relearning that song in a way that's palatable to me now. And uh, that led me to think, God, John Hartford was just such a good writer. And so then I looked him up on YouTube, and there's just all kinds of videos of him up there. And if I could learn to do the John Hartford shuffle, I would have the world by its tail, you know. Because when you watch him do all of those things and sing a song that he wrote and just be masterful at all of it, you're just like, this guy had it. This guy fully occupied his passion. You know, and it's all centered around the Mississippi River. He's just somebody who just river the river was it for him, and I understand that in a deep way myself personally. It's one of the reasons I love Jim Harrison so much. It's all about the rivers. And uh, may so. I may I say though that that you do a different kind of John Hartford shuffle with your percussion on your guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's basically what he was doing is providing a percussive element to right. the playing. And you do that percussive element, um, which I think mystifies a lot of uh, musicians that I have uh, heard speak of it, you know. So, just just a little note. Well, okay then. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to tonight because it's a round robin. And... Uh, I haven't been part of a round robin in a while. I was when I was playing in the clubs, I was often playing with somebody else. I know. And we would just trade songs back and forth. Me and Cad, me and Amy, me and JW. You know, uh, did one with Rob, and you know, it's uh, it was such a great thing to do to be able to work off someone else's energy, not as a band necessarily, but as just another writer. You know, 
Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. That anyway. is for sure. And so I picked out a few John Hartford nuggets just because they're fun. And uh, I just think he was a delightful human being. And I'm sorry he's gone. Watching the river go by, watching the river go by, watching the river go by in the evening. Watching the river go by, watching the river go by, watching the river go by in the evening. He was an old bachelor who never married. She was an old maid who never married either. He was an old school teacher who lived all alone And she lived next door and she lived alone too They'd known each other for all of their lives They played together when they were little kids They both were living in the houses they grew up in On the banks and facing the Ohio River And they were watching Watching the river go by, watching the river go by in the evening. Watching the river go by, watching the river go by, watching the river go by in the evening. evenings of their middle age he'd either go to her house or she'd go to his and they'd sit on the porch side by side completely naked never touching never ever even as much as holding the hands and they'd watch the river go by watching the river go by they was watching the river go by in the evening and they watching Watching the river go by, watching the river go by in the evening. He knew all the boats and who was in the crew. She'd listen to old stories that she'd heard so many times. His daddy'd been a captain of a steamboat on the river. Well, that was long ago in his memory. And they were watching the river go by. Watching the river go by. Watching the river go by in the evening. There's a watching the river go by. Watching the river go by. Watching 
And the sweet river breeze Played around their knees And caressed ever tightly their skin And sometimes they'd sit for an hour or so Or sometimes till way past ten Just watching the river roll by Watching the river roll by Watching the river roll by In the evening Watching the river roll by Watching the river go by Watching the river go by In the evening They didn't do this in the dead of winter And they didn't do it in the dead of summer either Cause they didn't want to freeze or get bitten by mosquitoes But some nights it'd be just right She'd show up in her bathrobe and they'd sit in the dark And just watch the river roll by Watching the river roll by Watching the river roll by In the evening Watching the river roll by Watching the river roll by Watching the river roll by in the evening. Watching the river roll by. Watching the river roll by. Watching the river roll by in the evening. In the puzzle over there On the mantle by the little And my darling put it there She says it's from a scary bird Was perched perchance to scare The little hand that pets me every night Oh, the cabin in the so green Prettiest little cabin that I ever have seen And my darling waits there for me With her little tambourine Tapping out the rhythm of the rain I can't go back cause I've never left this little cabin home With a wraparound porch and a dog trot and a well of granite stone And an old wet dog all sloppered down with the end of an old wet bone Puffing like a locomotive on an old freight train Oh, the cabin in the bed so green Prettiest little cabin that I ever have seen and My darling waits there for me in a little tambourine Packing out the rhythm of the rain
Now I'm laying in this tanning bed, dreaming of my youth. The gangster rap and the cowboy hat just makes me feel uncouth. But a vision of my mother is a vision of truth. Hanging out the wash so long ago. Oh, a little cabin in the place so green. Prettiest little cabin that I ever have seen. My darling waits there for me with her little tambourine. Tapping out the rhythm of the rain. Beating out the rhythm of the blues. Beating out the rhythm of the rain. Observing the all-time high watermark of the 1927 flood. Beating out the rhythm of the rain. This is a song about the Julia Bell Swain. Swain is a mighty fine boat, got a mighty fine captain too. Got a big red wheel that goes around and around and a bunch of old hippies for a crew. Well, I can't stay here, well, I gotta get away. I'm Chattanooga, Tennessee bound. I'm gonna get my banjo and put it on my back when the Julie Bell comes down. When the Julie Bell comes down. Peoria, you know that summer's here, and up on the Illinois River, that's the very best time of the year. Those steamboat days in August, like a hazy, lazy dream. I wanna be at the foot of Main Street when the Julie Bell raises steam. When the Julie Bell raises steam. Well, Dennison Moon and Bob Burnett and Doc and Lori too. All one big steamboat family, the Julie Bell Steamboat Crew. Me, I tell you, we gotta get away. I'm Chattanooga, Tennessee bound. I'm gonna get my banjo and put it on my back when the Julie Bell comes down. When the Julie Bell comes down. Swain is a women's lib boat, the first I ever knew. We got girls in the pilot house and girls on deck and lady in the engine room. Now Donna, she's got her license, and Cindy's learning to steer. And little Julie keeps Moon out of trouble by wandering off everywhere, by wandering off everywhere. When the Julie Bell gets in a steamboat race, she's a mighty hard boat to beat. She raced the Bell of Louisville and she beat the Delta Queen. She don't need no help to get her turned around, she'll come right around on a dime. And after the race, she heads up the river, cause the Julie Bell still got time. Cause the Julie Bell still got time.
Well, I sure do love the Tennessee River, the Ohio, and the Illinois. And I love the old Mississippi River. It's a good old place for a boy. Just to step on board a steamboat, ride all the way to the sea. Where else but a muddy old river would a person want to be? Would a person want to be? Well, I come up the river the other night, darker than the inside of a cow. Ain't nothing like a crooked old river, straighten my head right out. Now, love my love, she's pretty as can be, and love to take her down. Cause pretty ladies really like to ride when the Julie Bell comes down. When the Julie Bell comes down.